Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, My First Season. My name is Greg, and we have a very, very special guest today. I first met this XGO in the St. Lucia, in probably the winter season 94-95. I have a very, very distinct memory of her. She doesn't know it yet, but we're going to talk about that on the podcast. She is from Mexico City. Her first season was in Huatuco in October of 1988, where she was an au pair hostess. However, since 2009, she has been living in Norway, and I find that extremely interesting. And when you hear why, you'll find it interesting as well. And we're going to talk about that too. So without further ado, everyone, please help me welcome Diana. Hola, Diana. ¿Qué tal? Hola, buenas tardes, Greg. How are you? Oh, it's so good to hear your voice again. Thank you for uh, so much for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. So interesting. Exciting. Well, I find your life very, very interesting. I found you very interesting when I uh, knew you and met you. And uh, what how I'd like to start is if you can take me back in time to where you were living and what you were doing. We know you're from Mexico City, but were you going to school? Were you working somewhere else? And how did you find out about Club Med? Actually, I had just finished high school and I didn't really want to go to university right away. I wanted to travel. I want to get out of Mexico City. I felt, you know, cities are not my thing. No, and uh, actually, I heard about Club Med because I was dating someone that had been doing the Club Meds as a GM, and he kept mentioning Playa Blanca as a singles place or adults only, and he said the party was crazy and it was really a lot of fun, and that for someone like me who likes uh, people and languages, that would be a great thing to do, and uh, yeah, I remember that popped up my mind when my father said you either go study or you get a job right and i was not gonna stay in mexico city and work there no no never never done it and then i applied for the club med and i remember i went to the offices they're still in the same office i believe in polanco in presidente masaric i I believe that's the road i think they still have those offices there so i went for an interview there and they hired me like so fast. I was a bit like shocked, you know, I thought it was going to be taking time, but they wanted me to leave already the next day. And of course, uh, I remember my mom took me there. So she was with me. I was barely 18. I mean, I was 18. Yes. And uh, then I believe, um, I believe they gave me about a week time so I could pack and fix things and all that. And they mentioned Huatulco and I was like, wow, you know, Huatulco was this new place just being developed it was pretty virgin in those days now I can imagine it's full of hotels I haven't been back there since and yes one week later I was in Huatulco so it was very fast very crazy well I'm curious if they hired you on the spot why did you go au pair then why didn't you just immediately get a contract they didn't have contract yet because In those days, I don't know if it's today the same, I believe a season was November, and was it May? May to November, November to May, something like that. And I was hired before that, and they all the contracts, uh, for Mexicans at least, I believe they were taken. So they actually told me, obviously, also to test me, you know, a bit like a testing the staff. And when they proposed, I said yes, you know, when they said... You will have a room and food and you'll be at the beach or working, doing whatever it is I was going to do. 
hostess. I didn't really have an idea what that was. I had never worked ever in my life before. It was my very first job ever, ever. So for me, it was like, yes, please get me out of Mexico City. I was totally in. I didn't even think of a contract later. It was uh, when I was already in Huatulco, then when they gave me the contract eventually. So, and I would take it you had never gone to a resort before, right? Not like that. We did family vacations in small, small hotels, like say Ixtapa, 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 Cihuatanejo, those were our favorite places with the family. No, a resort, never, never. I, I had heard about it, but I knew nothing, nothing. I came out of high school. I, I was a city person. I mean, yeah, no, no, the whole thing was really exotic. Did the person who conducted your interview tell you about the hours you would have to work and no days off and all that? I don't remember, honestly. I don't remember, but I remember about the au pair that they said I, was go- I wasn't going to get paid. I don't remember, honestly, no, no remembrance there. Sorry about that. So your first week, did you have any culture shock? Were you wide-eyed and like, what? What is what's going on here? Why is everyone dancing? Did you have any of well, that? The whole thing was insane. I remember when I arrived at the airport in Huatulco, then I believe uh, the club mail were the only ones using the airport. I believe, I'm not sure about that. But when we arrived, there was all these like blonde brown people wearing perils and flowers in their head. And there was this um, music and they were going crazy and waving and woo and welcome and bienvenue and the whole thing. I didn't speak uh, really French there. My French was basically non-existent. And I remember they picked us up already wearing those Paris and the flowers. And then in the bus, there was a lot of screaming and singing and dancing. And when we arrived in the resort, everybody was wearing perios and flowers in the head. And they had this really nice cocktail. Uh, I believe it had alcohol in it. What was amazing. I believe it was a planter's punch, something like that. Or a tequila sunrise, maybe was that. It was orange. That I remember very, very well. And everybody's so tanned. And yeah, the perios and the flowers. I was shocked. I was, I felt this euphoria. Like it was the perfect thing for me. Really? Okay, good. Mm. Oh, imagine 18 years old from Mexico City. That's and true. I, you yeah, arrive... I, I can't imagine, like, I'm sure most of the XGOs didn't come straight out of high school, but that's for sure. So, uh, yeah, that must have been a lot to take in. It was, it was perfect. It was perfect. It wasn't a culture shock. I honestly, I didn't even believe I was in Mexico. It felt I was in another place, in another, in another country. That wasn't Mexico for me. I mean, the Mexicans were there, but there weren't that many. And the tourists weren't that many Mexicans. Uh, the geos, um, there were so many different nationalities. But by then, really, it was just the, the, the music, the parios and the flowers in the head and everybody dancing and the cocktails. Everybody saying hi and so nice to me, you know. And that was a bit of a shock because, uh, you know, Mexico City, like a big city, you don't look at anybody, nobody looks at you, and nobody talks to you. And that's how it has been. And uh, so everybody saying hi and big smile. And then, yeah, and all these foreign people, I mean, I hadn't been outside, okay, once to Germany, but, you know, it was amazing. And back then, Watuko was still a family village, I'm guessing? No, no, it was still adults only. It was? 
Watuko yes, was I, uh, was adults only in the beginning? Yes, yes. yes oh, I did only. not know that. Okay. And I believe it was the second season they opened. Yeah, I arrived for the winter season. I believe they, I think they opened that same year. Wow, okay. I did not know. I, I, I arrived at the end of the year. Okay. I, the I assumed it was always No, no, no families, family. no children. Oh. And, uh, and I remember they mentioned that in the job interview because I they asked me how I was with like family and all that and well I've never been a child fan so when they said um, you prefer a, a village with adults I was like of course you know now when now when you do your job like start doing hostessing did they have rules back then like uh, I don't know you have to put a, a spoon in the glass only two geos per table did they yes, uh, yes, yes. Of course, well, of course, when they said you were going to be a hostess, I had no clue what exactly that was. But of course, my manager, I don't remember who my boss was. That is terrible. But I remember, yes, that um, we had smoking and non-smoking sections. Of course, the first thing was like two smoking, non-smoking. And yes, there was only two geos allowed per table. And we put the famous spoon in the glass. And I was assigned a lot to the smoking area. I don't know why. I don't smoke. I hate smoking, right? But yes, and yeah, only two geos per table. And of course, I remember that they told me, try to put all English people together. And if there's any Germans, try to put them together. Of course, I spoke German then. And if there's uh, Mexicans or Spanish people, try to put them together, you know, so they can communicate with each other. Yes, I remember that. And you spoke German because one of your parents was German, correct? My mother is German, yes. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, in those days, I only spoke my very terrible English, uh, very decent German and Spanish, and like a few words of French. Did you have any kind of club med culture shock when you got there? Like what, uh, what they were, anything they were doing that you were like, what is that? Like crazy signs? I don't know. <laughs> Some people consider cult, uh, crazy signs culture shock. But <laughs> well, the crazy signs were for me, they were always my nightmare. Uh, I, I never, <laughs> ever, ever liked them. I'm sorry. I felt embarrassed the first night. I mean, everybody was so excited. I believe it must have been arrival day on a Saturday. And I remember when they put everybody to dance and they said, yeah, you have to do this every night while you're working up med. And I was like, okay, here we go. And then the music started and they were moving the hands and doing all these dance moves. And I was embarrassed. I was like, what is this? Oh, the shame. And I didn't know what they were doing. And I'm not exactly the best dancer. I wasn't then. And I was embarrassed that I remember. And yes, that, that shocked me a bit. And I was thinking, I will have to do this every night as long as I work in Club Med. And uh, I did that every night for, what, 17 years? <laughs> <laughs> you got you got through it. You just, you just in your brain, you, in your brain, uh, yeah, in your brain, you just went to, a, you went to a safe place like I did. And <laughs> well, at the moment, yeah, at some moment you become a robot and you just do it. And actually, no, no, there were times I had fun, of course. When I was on stage, every time I was on stage, I had fun. But when I had to sort of stand in front of the guest, I felt a bit like ridiculous. Like I shouldn't be standing in front of the guest. I should be on stage. But of course, in my first season, I didn't know there was going to be a stage or that I was going to be doing shows and stuff. I had no clue. Now, did you seek out the choreographer to do the shows or did they find, no, did they find you? No, oh, they, they found me really, really quickly. And of course, I was like, oh, yes, I want to be on, in the show. 
And uh, yeah, and then I discovered that I was very clumsy because I'm not a really good learner for that kind of dancing. It came after, but in the beginning, it was, but it was fascinating. It was fascinating. Yeah, I think I did pretty much every show existing. I really liked it. I was never tired. I mean, with 18, 19, you're not tired. And yeah, no, I, I really liked all that. And um and well, it was pretty challenging also because in those days we had the famous GM show. Yes. And I remember not two weeks had passed and they put me in charge to making a GM show. And I was horrified. Really? Was like, what? A yes. Yes, yes, yes. They saw, I think they saw potential in me or something. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. But I remember they made me do a GM show and I didn't even know how to dance. But then they said, oh, you can do comedy. And I said, well, why not? And I remember I got this one sketch. I think it's La Potion Magique, the magic potion. And uh, I remember I got, I think I only needed four gems or something. Uh, can you tell the, the listeners uh, who don't know what the magic potion is, including me, uh, what, like, briefly, what you is that? You know the what sketch it? of the magic potion? No. Oh, it's no. fantastic. Just tell me briefly what, what it entails. What's, what's... Uh, it's basically a skinny guy that is on the beach in Club Med and he's walking past two very good looking ladies in bikini. And he's like, wow, I want to like talk to them, but they're totally ignoring him. So he's flexing his skinny muscles and they totally ignoring him. And then they push him away and he's a bit sad. So he finds this little bottle and it says magic potion, no, get strong fast. And he drinks the magic potion. There's a blackout. And the next second, there's this huge muscular good looking guy standing there with the same, exactly same um, uh, bathing suit. And then he's like, oh, yes. And then um, and then uh, he sees the girls. Oh, and by then the girls, they're obviously all over a geo. There's a good looking geo that's with his badge, you know, and the ladies, oh, yes, the geo, the geo. And then the muscular guy comes there and points at the lady, sort of like, come on, honey. And the ladies get all excited because they see this muscular guy. But what happens is that the Geo gets up, goes to the guy. You think they're going to fight, but then they hug each other and they walk hand in hand together. And that's the end of the sketch. Oh, nice. Yes. Obviously, the Geo was a GM as well, dressed as a Geo. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I think it was five GMs. It was a huge success because that time, I will never forget that, there was this really skinny blonde guy that was very, very funny, and he was dying to be in the show. And there was, well, you know, the classic, you know, every week, uh, the most good-looking GM, ladies and men. There was this very, very muscular guy. I think he was a bodybuilder, and he was blonde as the skinny guy. They actually looked a bit like brothers, except the size. And they were so perfect and they had the perfect costume for them. And then the ladies, okay, anybody, anybody wanted to be the ladies. I don't remember who played the, the Gio, but um, yeah, it was a big success. I remember the public went crazy. Huatulco was full, fully booked, I believe, that week. It must have been November. Maybe it was Thanksgiving week, maybe. I don't know, but it was more than 1,200 guests, a lot of people. So the theater was packed and it was a success, that GM show, that I will not forget. And, and I, then I've done that sketch after a few times, but not much. But that first one, no, it never, never was the same ever again. And I'm assuming the village was full, probably like 1200 for Christmas and New Year's. And how did it feel working your first Christmas and New Year's? 
Well, we were, we had a lot of uh, stress because of the restaurant, of course, even though in those days there was still a lot of, a lot of geos. So we were a lot of hostesses, but the restaurant, of course, didn't have enough space for everybody at the same time. So we had to, we had to do some shifts, um, tell people, you know, can you wait half an hour and stuff. Uh, but I remember I was just running up and down that restaurant. And of course there was like a reception area, but it wasn't reception as we know in a hotel in a club med nowadays they had a planning office a traffic office for transportation and there was this reception but it was only for information for complaints or maintenance issues and the famous bar beats for the bar i was selling those bar beats i remember there were three sizes the biggest size of bar beats was like a 40 dollar bag with lots of yellow, white, and orange beads. So we had shifts there as well. Um, that was, I like that. I like the reception part, the restaurant. It could get chaotic. And of course, you being the one sitting people, you know, the classic, you know, maybe they don't want to sit there. Uh, maybe they want to be with their friends, but their friends are already in a table and two geos sat there or it's already taken. And But no, I don't remember to i mean i know right we worked every day all day and then rehearse all night and we didn't sleep a lot but yeah i remember it was pretty packed well since you didn't um you know have much time to sleep and working seven days a week did you have time to learn any skills as i'm trying to figure out and my story is connected to windsurfing uh where did you did you first learn to windsurf in watuko or was it another village Actually, I tried to learn how to winter. There's one thing they told me. I remember that. They said that when I had free time, because there was no day off, but free time, I could participate in all the sports. I had never done any of those sports. My sport was bodybuilding or weightlifting, and that was it. So, yes, I tried everything. I remember archery, uh, of course, windsurfing. Windsurfing, I was always looking at it like, what is that? And I remember they had sailing, but that didn't really... attract me too much it was the windsurf guy some french dude who who told me just try and i started doing the lessons and the problem is watulco has no wind and has a bit wavy conditions so it wasn't easy it wasn't easy and i didn't really get good at all not in watulco it was a catastrophe actually once um that is that is a bit funny story but it was a bit windier, so I thought, okay, finally some wind, let's try. And of course, I ended up so far away, I think almost abandoned the bay. And the security boat had to get me, and they were so angry at me, saying, we cannot be rescuing geos. But of course, I was new, and I was young, and they were very nice about it, honestly. But I remember I got really scared at some point because I couldn't come back. And I couldn't even lift the sail because it was so wavy and it was really, really far away. So yeah, that was my first rescue that traumatized me. Well, every, everyone gets rescued. Like they say, it's, you know, it takes three minutes to go out and three weeks to come back. But every, every beginner goes through that when surfing. Yes, but that traumatized me and I swore myself, I'm never going to get rescued again. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> All I right. don't know if I was, but maybe if equipment broke, but no, no, I was so like traumatized because I felt so bad for them that they had to come and get me, you know, the GO, I mean, ooh, you don't how, go rescue GOs. 
Well, hey, I got rescued my my first season, and to make it worse, it was a very, very beautiful, the only female on this on the sailing and windsurf team that had to come get me. So I felt very emasculated. Okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I didn't mind as much, right? Okay. <laughs> no, I was I was pretty horrified. I mean that. Um, yeah, no, I remember. I that's when I started learning because I said, okay, you need to get better, so they never ever ever rescue you again. Yeah. Yeah. And you well, it wasn't really. And, and you did. And you did. No, I know you did. Well, we're we're going to get into that. Roughly, how long did you stay? Like you arrived in October. Did you stay six months for your first season? Yes, until yeah, until the summer the next year. Now, now did you want to stop or did you want to continue? No, no. They offered me. They offered me Cancun. I went to Cancun after. Oh wow! Okay. I think there was the option of Playa Blanca or Cancun, but as a Mexican, we love the Caribbean. And I had been in Cancun before. In Cancun, you know, the white sand. Plus yes. in those in those times, Cancun was, oh, it was small and the beaches were a dream. When they said, you wanna go to Cancun, it was also adults only. I said, yes, right away. And it probably at that time, so I'm figuring if you were there in 88 or 89, uh, Cancun, I think, was the first hotel on that uh, strip, correct? So there wasn't probably a lot of no, hotels. No, no, no. There was, there was already hotels all the way to this roundabout when the discos are. The roundabout where the discos are in Cancun, there was already discos there. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And I think the hotels were all the way up to there. There wasn't really much more. Uh, Can in Cancun, Clement Cancun was, of course, the only one in that very point, the Punta Nisuc, where it's still nowadays. Yeah. They have the ocean side and lagoon side. Exactly. Yes, yes. That was the only hotel as far as I remember. But the discos that were already where they are nowadays, you know, all those discos in Cancun. Do you recall who your, your first chief of village was in Baltuco? Yes, I believe it was Stefan Roena. Okay, from Brazil or Portugal? No, he was French. Oh, okay. He's French. And I remember the chief of animation is a guy that Stefan Jolie, I think he. he oh, sounds sounds familiar with that name. Or, yeah. yeah, Stefan Jolie, he was my chief of entertainment. And the chief of sports eventually became also a chief of village. It was a Turkish guy called Meti Aricio Glue, something like that. See, I oh, remember yes. those names. Yes. Oh, yeah. and I remember who my chief reception, I mean, reception hostess was. It was the wife. No, no, it wasn't the wife, not with Rowena. It was after the next season. Because, of course, in November, they changed the team. Okay. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, but I remember those three. Those three, I remember them. All right, so now let's fast forward a little bit. I met you in St. Lucia, the 94-95 winter season. Yes. And I'm going to tell you my distinct memory of you, because uh -huh. since you started in 88, by 94-95, you were very prof proficient in windsurfing. So I recall being at the beach. So when it was lunch and it was windy, you people who knew how to windsurf very well would take jump on the shuttle bus <laughs> and absolutely run, run to the beach to take advantage of the wind blowing in St. Lucia. Correct so far? Yes. Yes. So I was on the beach and then I see this uh, woman, you had long black hair, your arms and back were, were built from windsurfing. And to me, you look like Wonder Woman and you were running, you had your harness on and you were running to get, you know, I guess one of the best boards and sails. Okay. So your long black hair is flowing, you know, 
<laughs> and also Wonder Woman's name is Diana. So I thought, well, this is perfect because <laughs> she looks like Wonder Woman. And okay. then I saw you windsurf. And by then, obviously, you were tacking and jibing. You know, you could planing, you know, two feet in the straps. So seeing you do that, like, that's what really made me want to windsurf like that. You like you were my inspiration to want to do what you you did. Oh, really? But by then you were you you were you were that level, correct? Because that's that's what I remember. You got very yes, good. Yes, yes, I was I was better, but no, I got way better after. But well, I, sure, we but were, uh, but we were, but from, we were, from, yeah, from eight, and, yeah, eighty-eight to ninety-four, I you you learned yeah you learned a heck of a lot because it's such a vivid memory I have of you on that beach in St. Lucia, <laughs> running for actually, the, Greg, the I didn't do Clomeda, uh straight until ninety-four in eighty-nine. Was it 89? Oh, no, you, took a, you took a break? Uh, yes, it wasn't voluntary, but then I went to live in Cozumel, and then I went to live in England. I lived in London for almost three years. And what was your job in St. Lucia? In St. Lucia, I was boutique. Boutique, okay. That's yes, right. I was boutique by then. Did you like that village? St. Lucia, I loved it. I loved the island and I learned how to scuba dive and I did my open water and my advanced open water. I remember scubaing by the pitons. That yes. was a trip. That's the two uh, volcanoes, correct? Uh, oh my goodness, that was so amazing. No, I love St. Lucia. Yeah. No, St. Lucia, I have very good memories of that place. Very, very good. It was a beautiful spot, even just to moor the boat, right? You're right at the foot of these volcanoes. and <laughs> Yes, yes. And the, the, the winter was amazing. There was always wind. Plus, you had uh, drift diving, if I recall. The scuba team, like the, you would, the instructor would just put a buoy, and uh, you would go in the current, and then the scuba boat would pick mm -hmm. you up down, down mm -hmm. the way. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes, that was very nice. Yeah, no, it was fascinating. And I think, did they have fly? They had flying trapeze there, too. Yes, there was circus, yes. Yes, 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 of course. Punta Cana, yeah, because I did Punta Cana before St. Lucia. And that's where I started the flying trapeze. I was a fan of that. I loved it. I wasn't that bad either. I have some nice video where I have a layout catch. And I believe it's from either Punta or Turks. I'm not sure, but great. Well, let's run down some of your positions. Hostess, boutique, did you do anything else in your years at Clement? Any other different positions? Uh, yes, I was reception once they had reception, you know, standard reception. But I remember one that was one of the most fun times I've had was two months au pair windsurf instructor in Cancun when Hammer was the chief of village and I believe Hendel was the chief of sports or something of the sort, I did two months au pair windsurf instructor. And that, that's one of the good times I had. It was the only time I was ever in the sports team. You know, my life in Club Med was always um, the administrative. So until I stopped, I was at the reception. Well, why didn't you, but, want, to, why didn't you want to do a season as a sailing windsurfing geo? Because I wanted to go windsurfing and surfing and scuba diving and reception was the perfect because it's oh, it that's was true. four hours uh, open. So I had different shifts. I didn't have to work at the same time every morning. One day I had the morning free, one day the afternoon free. So I could actually do all this, um, all this sports. That's the reason. That's the reason I stayed at reception. Plus I got really good and it was good for the languages. And I was learning something a bit more, you know, for future and uh, especially, honestly, especially it was so I could do all these sports because I have always been a sports addicted person. 
And when it was in the winter, I could basically go snowboarding every day. And when you had those times, you could windsurf every morning or every afternoon, every day. And that, uh, as, a, as a sports geo, no, you could not. Uh, you mentioned Hammer, Hammer before. Was yes. Hammer for you the, the most, uh, your most memorable chief, would you say? Yes, Hammer, Hammer. And, 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 and why? He has this amazing energy and he, he was so kind. He was very supportive. He was the kind of person that always motivated us. And when you did make mistakes or did something super wrong, even super, super wrong, he didn't just like go crazy or fire you. I mean, there was this... Uh, how can I say it? He was so, he's fabulous. I mean, very positive. I just want to point positive. out he is, he is Canadian. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Canadian, so no, I'm just making a joke. Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. I, I don't know either, but uh, he was always amazing. I mean, to me, to me, he was amazing. Very kind always. There's this kindness. I mean, that man from my park and have the best karma forever and ever. I send him the best karma because, yeah, he was good. He was good. Oh, in all your seasons, is there, do you have like a top funny story you could share with us? Uh, obviously, clean and appropriate story. Yeah, I, I came up with a few stories, oh. but some of them, they were a bit more in the dangerous part. But oh. I have, <laughs> Any no, funny I, have I have one. Okay, from, okay. from Watulco, honestly, I don't remember much funny. No, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be Watuko. This one is from a... Punta Cana, actually. That's when okay. Punta Cana was still a small village before they renovated and made it a humongous village. What what year was this around? It was before St. Lucia. Okay. It was the famous uh, 94, so... 95. Okay. 93, 94. It was the season before St. Lucia. And well, you, you remember that the shipwreck that yes. was in Punta that apparently has disappeared? Okay, yes, that's right. Well, in those days, he was uh, pretty, pretty decent. He hadn't cracked in two. And one night, um, very illegally, we were partying, you know, and we we're having this amazing rum. What was the name of that rum? In oh, was Republic? it the one, 151? Was it? <laughs> no, wait, it was uh, one oh. with a yellow, yellow net. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but I, I know I know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway, but um, so we basically kidnapped some of the kayaks. And after the disco, when pretty much everybody went to sleep, we kidnapped the kayaks and we took the bottle of rum with us. And I think we were two kayaks. And we went all the way to the shipwreck because there was a rope hanging from it. And we were like, we have to try to get on the ship, right? So I don't remember who I was with, sadly. But one of the guys started climbing on the rope, you know, strong guys. And he made it to, at some point, somewhere on the shipwreck. And then he was like, come on, Diana, come up. And I'm like, yay, here I go. And then I'm, I'm trying to climb up. And suddenly my foot goes all the way inside the metal because it was all rusty, right? And, and basically the whole thing started to crack. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this ship is like gonna, gonna like fall on us or something. And then of course I had to get back down because I couldn't, I couldn't climb. And by then the canoe had turned around and I was under the canoe and, and I was trying to save the bottle and there was a lot of screaming and ha 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 and they were on the ship and I was like just trying to stay on the canoe. Next day, well, we did not get fired, right? But obviously everybody heard about it. I don't know how 
they found out, but obviously, you know how it is. But that night was one of the nights I will never forget that we kidnapped those kayaks, totally illegal. We were four geos and we tried to climb that shipwreck and how my feet just went straight to the rusty metal of the ship. So I never made it. <laughs> that could be a good That's, thing though. Very good thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. And, and yeah, and, no, no. It's, oh God. <laughs> in, your, in your time as hostess or reception geo, do you recall, because I like to ask, I love dumb questions. So do you, you recall the, some of the dumb questions you were asked? on the job <laughs> like you know when when will it stop raining stuff like that do you recall any uh yes of course well that was a classic yeah. i mean when oh, they yeah. get angry at you because the weather is not good well they want to no they want to they want to know a specific time they said what time is it going to stop raining not that it was raining yes that was an affront but they actually wanted you to tell them what time exactly that's yes the... that that yes but Honestly, we we have, oh, I need to tell you this story. This is okay. one of the, but I wasn't present, but I know it happened. It, it was it was uh, in Punta Cana, but that was when they started building the new area. I remember uh, a very upset GM who had one of the newer rooms. He came to reception going berserker because there had been a tarantula in his room so he killed the poor tarantula took it all the way to reception and threw it on the receptionist okay yes yes that that was a bit like what not not cool um and as you know no 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 but that's the kind of thing well as you know if you've been to punta the tarantulas are everywhere right (laughs) yes oh in huatulco too i had a tarantula in huatulco really Uh, suddenly what it was inside the room suddenly and i was like oh what do i do so it was one of the safe ones because by then we had seen a few and they say, yeah, they're not poisonous. No, I caught it and I kept it in like a glass container as a pet. Really? I wasn't really sure what it ate, but I remember someone said, just give it raw liver or something. So I remember I put the raw liver in it and I had the pet tarantula for a while until it escaped. And when I tried to catch it, the little bugger went into the air conditioning system. And that was the last time I saw the tarantula. I don't know where it ended up. Did your well, pet spider have have a name? Lencha. Lencha. What what does Lencha. that mean? I have no idea. That was the name okay. of my tarantula, Lencha, and it was uh, black and uh, like the size of a hand. Okay, so it wasn't a little uh, one. so in Spanish, that does that, that that name doesn't mean anything. No, there's no translation. Lencha? No, it's a oh, name. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you ever get stung by a scorpion uh, in all your time in Mexico? That is such a good question. I'm so glad you asked this because I have a paranormal story. I was brushing my teeth in that very same room where the tarantula showed up. And I remember I was by the sink and I felt a little tickle under my foot. I was barefoot, but I didn't move. You know, I kept doing. And when I walked away, I turned around and it was a tiny blonde Scorpio. They're supposed to be deadly, right? It was uh, just there. Yes, the smaller ones are usually the, yeah the smaller yeah. ones almost transparent yellowy. I mean they're they're I think if they bite you, I mean if they sting you, you like it hurts. If you don't get antidote, you die. I mean at least that's what I remember from those days. Well, the little bugger he just went right by my foot because he must have thought oh warm and cozy, but he didn't move. So when I moved away, he was just there, and he wasn't scared. No, it's not like the tail was up. And I got really like, oh, you know, like, what is this? I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I caught it, too, not because I don't like to kill insects or animals. I actually, 
I do that with cockroaches too. I catch them and then they put them outside. Well, I caught the little Scorpio and yeah, put it outside. But um, I remember my heart was beating because those are poisonous and they kill you. And it didn't sting me. And it was under my foot quite a while. That was weird. So <laughs> good thing no, you I don't think I've been that. stung of scorpions. I've been stung by wasps, of course, and fish. Yes. But Scorpio, not that I remember, no. All right. Roughly, you said before, se- roughly 17 years. I mean, not consecutive, but 17 years okay. in Club Med? Yep, pretty roughly? much. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And how long did it take you to, did you ever get outside the North American zone at all or always in the North American zone? Well, it was basically because when I stopped after the season in Cancun, not on my own, uh, I went to live in Europe. I, as I said, I was three years in Cozumel. I saved up the money and then I went to travel Europe. And when I came to London, England, I ran out of money. So I had to get a job there. And I stayed there for about two and a half years, three, until the weather just got me. You know, it's always like very humid around the 10 Celsius, 11, very humid. And my hands started to get like arthritic. I was 23 years old or something. So... I remember the Club Med office was in front of Harrods, the big shop. And I went, one day I just walked by, saw it, and I said, maybe it's time to go and try Club Med again and get out of this weather, because if not, I'm going to like lose my fingers. And I went there and they gave me a date where they were doing those um, mass interviews. And same thing, I had an interview time. I went in and they checked and said, oh, you've worked in club med before yes where with who okay um do you speak some french i'm like we oui, we oui, even though my french was terrible but i had rehearsed the sentences i had a friend that helped me rehearse the classic sentences they ask you parlez-vous français pourquoi vous voulez travailler à club med or why you want to work in club med so i rehearsed it and memorized them even though i wasn't really sure what i was saying but it must have sounded pretty decent because they liked the little french i had but of course they were interested in the german and the English and the Spanish. And same thing, uh, after the interview, they said, so when do you want to leave? You want to leave tomorrow? And I'm like, no, I need at least a week. I need to quit from my other job, right? And um, and same thing, uh, one week later, I was being flown to Hammamet. So automatically then I already had a European contract. And that's when I did a lot of traveling. I traveled all over. Hammamet is Tunisia? It's Tunisia, yeah, no, I mean, Imagine when they told me you're going to Hammamet, I was like, excuse me, where is that? I had no clue where that was, right? Then she said Tunisia, and I'm like, oh my goodness, they're sending me to Africa, (laughs) right? (laughs) And yeah, there was another culture shock uh, arriving at that place. That was fun. I had never seen the desert before. I was in the Sahara. I saw camels. I rode camels. Wow. In addition to Hammamet in in that zone, uh, or Asia, Europe, where else did you work? I did almost all the Caribbean, you know, from... No, no I, mean, no, I mean overseas, no, overseas in uh, North Africa. Like mean, where, where else okay. in Europe or North Africa or Asia? Did okay, you? no, North Africa, there was only Tunisia that one season, but I did Turkey a few times. Which, I did uh, which resort which, which, which resort in Turkey? In Turkey was Kemer. It was um, Beldibi, that doesn't exist anymore, and something called... No, not Beldibi. Yes, in Beldivi and Focha, that's near Izmir. I did those yes. three. Good windsurfing in Focha. 
Yes, there I got a lot better. Um, Camera I did like three times. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah Camera was the party place. In the, and where, where, in, where in Israel? In Eilat. Eilat. Okay, me too. Eilat. Yeah, I arrived actually after there was this um, accident in, the, you know, the hot village that was in the north of Tel Aviv. Yeah, Arziv, yes. Arziv, yeah, there was this incident. Yeah. So after after that, I arrived in Israel. So I remember I remember some of those Arziv geos were there. That was a really interesting season, the Israel. What year and were you in uh, Coral Beach? Yes, in Coral Beach. What, what year? And I was in the boutique. What year? I'm not sure. Okay. Where 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 was your last resort? My last last club man? Yes. I believe it was San Moritz in the winter of 2010-2011. Oh, okay. Yes. That's still fairly, fairly recent. Mm, yes. Yes. Uh, I was already working for this museum where I work now. Well, that's what, yeah, that was my next question. So, so today you speak roughly seven languages. You're from Mexico City. You've been mm-hmm. in uh, Norway. You've been living in Norway. And if you could tell them where you work in Norway. Yes, I live in the Lofoten. Those are islands high up in the Arctic. And I work for a Viking museum. Okay. They found the archaeological remains in the 80s, and it's been a museum since 95. So I've been working in that museum is, since 2010. Is that specifically why you moved to Norway? Pretty much. Pretty much. I started visiting Norway from 2006, but only on vacation. And that is the funny story too, a bit. It's because I like black metal, you know, music, black metal. And um, okay, so you don't like so you don't like the hokey pokey, crazy no. science. So you prefer no. black black metal. Okay. Black metal, trash metal, death metal. I love that, but especially <laughs> black metal. And okay. the Norwegian black metal is fabulous. And like many, many of us who are now living in Norway from all over the world. I came to Norway to see the scene of black metal. You know, I wanted to live it and oh boy, I did. Oh, really? Okay. So it wasn't the Vikings that drew you there. No, no, it was black metal. The Vikings was basically the first job I had in Norway before the museum was in a, in a hotel in the mountains, really pretty. And there was this girl working in the kitchen and she said, oh, Diana, you like Vikings. I always liked Vikings, you know, metal and Vikings goes together. And she said, oh, you know, there's this amazing Viking museum in the Lofoten. And I've always dreamed to go to the Lofoten because they're so beautiful. I mean, it's one of those travel destinations a lot of people have. It's so pretty here. And suddenly I saw this website where the Viking house showed up. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to work there. It was like in my mind right away. But by then, that winter, I was working in Cervinia in Italy. And it was 2010 where the Eyjafjella Jökull volcano exploded in Iceland. I don't know if you remember that. That was in 2010. And the ash basically blocked uh, planes from Milano airport. And I was in Cervinia. So Milano was like uh, my nearest airport. So we were getting stuck. And um, we couldn't um, leave. And I remember I applied that same winter to work in the museum. And I got a job, so I left by train via Germany. I have family in Germany. And then I eventually made it all the way to the Lofoten. 
but I got the job. I mean, the second I saw the picture of that museum, I said, I am going to work there. That's going to be my working place. I knew it, I felt it, and I got it. And I'm still here. Huh. Now, did you have to study, once you got the job, study up a lot on Viking history and culture? It came so naturally. I was like a sponge. I, I already knew a lot. I knew the mythology. I've always been into Viking mythology. No, it all came really natural. I had to learn the language, of course, what well, wasn't that easy. Because uh, in Norway, they have a lot of dialects. So I remember I learned with this one book and two CDs. And I basically memorized the book. I, I got really good in my book style of Norwegian. They call it bokmal. And when I arrived up here, they have this very crazy dialect and I couldn't understand the word. So basically my Norwegian went from decent to zero, but they were just happy that I spoke all the other languages because of the tourism that comes here. It's very international. So yeah, I started working for the museum and it was first just a summer job. And that's why when my summer contract was over, I went back to the Clomet for the winter. And that's when I did my last season that was uh, San Moritz. All right. I have a ex-geo friend who lives in Arizona. She, she will be coming on the show at a later date. Uh, she mm-hmm. has a history degree. She's very well immersed in Viking culture. Now, for her, she she hates when she watches a show like Vikings on the History Channel, and it's full of historical mm-hmm. in, inaccuracies. So can you uh, watch something now uh, that takes place like, I don't know, The Last Kingdom or, or Vikings and, and, and enjoy it? Are you picking out things like, oh, no, the helmet's wrong. That's not the right sword. The costumes. The costumes. The costumes. So they get it wrong mostly, right? Yes, I suffer a lot. I suffer a lot. It, it's like It's like a pain in the heart when you see the things they put on the actors, I mean, it's like, it's not Club Med or Game of Thrones, you know? Don't just put a nice costume designer, make fantasy costumes, especially if there's so much findings. You can have an amazing wardrobe with clothing based on, like, findings. So it's not really that difficult. But yeah, that that I remember from Vikings. Well, the Viking, uh, the Viking community in Scandinavia is pretty united. Everybody knows each other and the reenactors, they take it very seriously. We take it very seriously. We have to have it handmade. It has to be based on something. And it takes a lot of time to get the clothing done. I am not talented to make my own clothing. I learned how to make Viking shoes, for example. But I trade, you know, I make Viking beers. So sometimes I trade and I get things. Uh, so now I have my my little wardrobe. And, and of course, you know, it's like a thing of respect. So when you see these terrible costumes they put on those kind of series, it doesn't really help. It doesn't re- really help Viking history and what the Vikings were. Okay, I'm going to back so you up a little, I, little bit. You mentioned Viking beer. Are you saying you, you reenacted a recipe from Viking times and then drank the beer? I was uh, shown how to make uh, something archaeologically acceptable. And we have the equipment to do it in the museum. And I learned it. The first time I saw this, I think he was the curator. He was doing that. Same thing. I said, oh, I'm going to learn how to make that Viking beer. And I'm going to be the Viking beer brewer. So I have become that pretty much. But I only do it when there is the Viking festival in the summer. How's it taste? But yeah, it's very sour because um, obviously we don't use um, oxygen-free containers like in a brewery. Uh, It's made in wooden containers. Uh, Lately, I have to use an iron kettle because the wooden containers broke. But the whole thing is made as the Vikings would have made it. 
And even though I fermented in a plastic, uh, you know, fermentation vat now, by then a lot of oxygen has come in. So it ends up pretty sour. It doesn't get that strong, but I believe once we got it almost up to a six, six percent, what was a big success. But I used a lot of honey. I like to put honey on my Viking beer because of the taste to counteract the sourness. It's called a braggot, if I'm not wrong. Anyway, so, and it's a lot of fun. So, of course, once you have um, your official Viking beer, Viking renactors, you know, give them the real food, the real beer, everybody goes crazy. And um, and we don't have hops up here. We only have this um, yarrow flower. So I use that as my hops. It's bitter and it sort of helps with the taste. And oh, it's very interesting. I don't know if you would like it. I would definitely try it <laughs> if you're in, uh, you know, if you're in uh, Norway. Yeah, well, well, you, you, you know, you know, <laughs> you, no, you know, come up here and during the Viking festival. <laughs> you, you, do, you, do as the, you do as the Vikings do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I better stop here because I can probably talk a lot longer on this. I want to take you back to Club Med just for a bit. Mm-hmm. So since you've done so many seasons, uh, this might be a hard question for you or it's not. Is there one season in particular? Like, was it, I use the word magical. Did you ever have a magical season? Was it your first one because it was your first one? Or is this, it's, it's, it's too, impo- you know, it's impossible because you've done, you've worked in so many different sectors and zones that they're all, they're all special in their own way. Or is there one that stood out to you? Honestly, no, there's not only one. I had many magical seasons. Oh, good. Okay. That's many, good. like many, many I actually it's easier for me to say was the one season I didn't really like too much actually no yeah maybe one but no I I had magical seasons everywhere I went because I traveled so much I went to all these exotic countries remember Mexican you know when you end up in Turkey in Tunisia in Israel in the Alps I remember the first time I saw snow I mean it all becomes magical. So no, honestly, there wasn't just one. I cannot credit only one. There were too many really magical seasons. Yeah, and it's true that is, or is it true that back then, like when you were a Mexican geo, it would be a long time before you'd even leave the Mexican villages, right? Like they would yes, put you to Cancun, you Playa, Huatulco. Yeah. So yeah, you had to do all the Mexican villages, and then if you were lucky, I think you could end up in. In Turks, in Turks, I think they have some Mexican Jews. So at least when I was there, they had a lot of Mexican Jews. You, you worked yeah, in no, Turks and Mexican, Caicos, though, right? Yes, also. Yes, yes. Do you have a favorite oh, JoJo? I had a European contract then. Do you have a favorite JoJo story? Yes, of course, the JoJo story. Oh, my goodness. Well, imagine what could be the best JoJo story than windsurfing. There was almost no wind. I was in one of those really fat boards, you know, those very stable boards with one of 4.5 you know, those pink and yellow sails from yeah, the old days. Yes. <laughs> you remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and I was just like um, navigating quietly. It was really pretty. It was getting like soon they were going to close. And yes, I saw the famous shadow. And of course, the first thing one thinks is shark, right? And then I see a fin. I'm like, oh, my goodness, a shark. And no, it was Jojo. It was Jojo, and he started playing with me. He started doing little zigzags under the board, and then he would get his nose out. He would, like, go sideways, and with his eye, he would look at me, and then he would do another zigzag under the board, go to the other side, get his nose out, and look at me. And I knew it was Jojo because he's full of uh, scars, right? Yes. 
And, uh, and it was him and we were like that for about half an hour or more. That was, that was incredible. It's good. It's incredible. a great, yeah, it's a great experience, right? You're, you're there with a wild dolphin just having fun. <laughs> yes. And of course I didn't want to risk going in the water. So I didn't fall down. I just let him do his thing. And of course I was like talking to him, <laughs> but that was magical. That was amazing. Yes. That, that was so, so amazing. Oh, yes. great. Yes. Okay. Are you ready for the last question? Yes. Okay. So if someone uh, listening to this uh, was thinking about applying to Club Med, but is on the fence about it, would you suggest they, they do apply to try it out, even if it's just for six months? Of course. Of course. It's incredible experience. And even though it may have changed, it's still, it's still Club Med. You still eat with the guests. You still can do your, the sports uh, when you have time. Well, now they have days off, so amazing. You can still go on excursions with the groups. Um, you still meet amazing people. Of course, no, I, I suggest anybody should try to do the Club Med. And if you're shy, you're a bit, you know, on the quiet side, it will get you to be an extrovert. It helped me so much. And for, for the job I do now, you have no idea how much Club Med has helped because we have to entertain guests. We have Viking festivals, Viking feasts. And, and basically, I'm a GO here. <laughs> in norwegian in german whatever language you want but of course no absolutely no i say never mind the salary don't think about that but as an experience yes definitely do it and i say right. it doesn't matter which age you are i mean i don't know how strict they are with age nowadays but i say go for it absolutely cool. great great answer i may not want to do an entire season anymore but honestly I would love to go back to Cancun and do a one-month au pair windsurf instructor. Uh, me too. Okay. Let's go. I yeah. Totally do that. Like tomorrow. <laughs> if they tell me, okay, Diana, would you do it now? Yes. I pack my bag and go to Cancun for a month and I do the au pair windsurf instructor. Yes. Well, I really, really want to thank you and appreciate you sharing your story with us uh, here today, Diana. This has been great. Awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, will you say, we're going to see you all next week, but will you say, I've, I've never asked someone to do this, will you say goodbye in all the seven languages you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. you like, ciao, hola, can you give me one of that and then all, all the languages you speak? <laughs> well, yes, of course, no? Adios hasta la vista, arrivederci, bonsoiré. Well, it's nighttime here now, even though it's only 15 o'clock. We're entering the dark times in Norway. Uh, auf Wiedersehen. Of course, Norwegian. Wait, Norwegian. Hadebra. So, fin to snacke med dig i dag. Det var så veldig, veldig hyggelig. Så vi kosa med masse. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I can say huve peivan jadkoa. That was Finnish. I'm learning Finnish now also. Oh my God. Okay. She does it all. She does it all. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's just, I like these languages. They're so exotic and so fabulous. Well, everyone, that was Diana from Mexico City, now in Norway. We want to thank you for listening. We'll see you all next week. Yes, Bye. Anybody that's coming to the Lofoten, come and visit. You heard her. I'll put the link uh, up to her busy end in the podcast description. So, And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Say bye, Diana. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Greg. <laughs>